This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. All right, so uh, episode number two for what we're doing, uh, some season some episode number something like that we're still figuring out the uh the rhythm of this uh new order hi everyone hi you know in the spirit of the multiverse trend that has permeated throughout popular media this is the alternate universe version of inspiration point <laughs> and, uh, where andrew got short and femme yeah that's right <laughs> And uh, now I have a goatee, so it's the darkest timeline. <laughs> I don't actually have a goatee. Um, okay. I'm a big fan of community, in case you couldn't tell. Uh, I love uh, Harmon stuff. Did you ever watch Harmon Quest? I watched a little bit of it. I, I liked the way that they blended the, the live style and the animated style. I thought that was very interesting and a cool way to do an actual play while giving something uh, visual to something to look at while you're describing all of the things because that's always my that's always one of my personal downfalls I don't think in pictures so if someone is describing something and there isn't something for my eye to trace as we're talking about it I have trouble seeing what's going on one of the things I really enjoyed about that show was the fact that the GM only ever had like a little notebook in front of them that was his control panel some dice and a book and he was done. Going back to the old days. Going back, you know, I, I think that that's really, really excellent. You know, I every time I've set up in real life games, you know, I've got my little command center, you know, and I, I don't regret that because I love my little <laughs> amenities and doodads who doesn't love amenities, but it is, it's a bit of setup beforehand. It's true. It's like, I, what, what is this, Axis and the Allies? Let's play the damn game. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, I, I always have at least two drinks behind any screen that I'm controlling. So, you know, drinks and pen and paper, you, really more my, my laptop, stuff like that. So what are you drinking now, then? Uh <laughs> I do actually have two drinks sitting on the desk on the sitting on the desk <laughs> next to me. Uh, good, good call. Uh, I have uh, tea and I have water because it's in the oh, middle okay. of the afternoon. Okay, so we don't have a severe drinking problem. <laughs> Just a moderate one. <laughs> a moderate, yeah, that's fine. It's totally fine. But usually, if I'm GMing during the evening, it's like a spiked lemonade or a spiked hard seltzer uh, and water. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, if I I only really uh, have a drink now when I'm out of the house. It's, it's you know like maybe if I'm at a restaurant, you know. Otherwise, I've I've uh, largely left the business. Good for you. And I mean, yeah. it, the, the expense of restaurant uh, beverages definitely forces moderation. It does, right? It's a little bit cost prohibitive. Like, do I really want to spend twelve dollars mm -hmm. on this small amount of liquid? 
Yes, yes, I do, but only <laughs> once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was a thing that I was constantly weighing when I was on Joko Cruise, where it was like, do I want to spend money that I, I will have to pay later because it's not real until you get the bill afterwards? Right. The answer was usually yes, especially when I could have someone bring it to me when I'm poolside. The person running those bills and making sure those phone calls are made to call in those debts, I have to imagine, looks exactly like the slug lady from uh, from Monsters, Monsters Inc. Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, Matt, why Mike Wazowski? Well, you know, that Why lady. haven't you paid your drink tab? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed yourself. That'll be $64. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. I'll bet you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in... Just in everything. I don't know why that's not a recurring character, you know? They always have uh, Cliff from uh, Cheers doing it. I forget what his real name is. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I'm, I'm going to have to make a note to have that show up more often in my in my stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, I've been in the movies a bit. Have you seen any... Well, who am I asking here? Why am I asking you if you've seen movies? I did see uh, through through the Spider Verse. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, if you're going to see one movie this summer, I would say that is a good choice. It was excellent. I definitely had trouble with some of the like flashing colors sometimes, and I have heard since that there was some issue with the soundscape in one of the in one of the early mixes. And I, I have heard that. I definitely was having trouble. I'm like, I have good hearing. Why am I having difficulty picking out the quips from underneath the music? And now I know it wasn't just me. It's it's a problem. Right. But not everyone's like a content editor, sound guy, you know? And so you're definitely gonna pick that stuff up. Yeah, and and, and I know what's going on too, where I can just sit there and be like, oh no, someone mixed this for the wrong thing. And that's, I think, I, I heard afterwards, that's exactly what happened, that they mixed for uh, one set of speakers and the theater that I saw it in was a different set of speakers. And so it, it wasn't balanced correctly for where I was. So I, I had an interesting experience at my movie experience last. I know I just said experience twice. Eh. Uh, something weird happened at the movie theater. What happened at the movie theater, Adam? Okay, so I was watching the much inferior uh, Flash movie. I mean, I think it's fine, but it's like, I mean, Across the Spider-Verse is obviously going to be better. Yeah. You know, like, it's better than most superhero content, like, by far. It's just uh, so that, good. That it's so full of heart. And I love the animation styles. I love the stories that they tell with the animation styles. Ah, anyway, go on with the much inferior film. It makes uh, the multiverse stuff way less annoying when it's your excuse to do all these kind of visual styles. Yeah. That somehow work together. I don't know how like... they work together, but it did. <laughs> I was watching that, especially all the stuff they were doing with the, the British Spider-Man. Javi, I love I was, him. I was just sitting there going, I know nothing about art. Nothing. This, <laughs> this is, I could never accomplish this. This is amazing. Uh, but anyway, I was watching Flash, which is, you know, eh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it has, it had multiverse stuff too. And I was like, great. And uh, we're like, a, I don't know, an hour and a half into the movie. And the whole screen just turns red. Oh, no. And, like, you can kind of make out what's going on, but there's, like, almost like a filter over it. But it is also quite obstructive. Save for a little bit of, like, a line at the top of the screen. 
So it, it was probably like the green and blue light from the projector breaking or something. Sure. I, I don't know. But either way, there was about five seconds there where I thought it was part of the movie. <laughs> sure, because I could see them doing something like that to really right, like yeah. emphasize what's going on. That, that would be a cool oh, option. We're, we're breaking down the, the time-space continuum. Ah! Right, what, whatever. And then, then oh, uh, no, clearly this is just a problem. Mm-hmm. So went out, told the, told the lady that was wearing a, a suit and a name tag, so I figured that was probably the person in charge. <laughs> and I, I said, hey, the, the picture broke. So then she moves everybody into another theater where it's already playing the same movie so we can finish it. But it's like an hour behind where we were. Oh, no. And so I ended up seeing Flash one and a half times. <laughs> And I'm going to uh, assume from your comment about it being uh, inferior and eh, that it, that was an hour of your life you wish you had back. That hour might be nice to have back. I mean, it's not horrible, okay? Uh, it. I don't want to be too spoilery, but all the characters who aren't the Flash are great. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the Flash, for me at least, uh, kind of ruins the experience because it's just obnoxious. And there's just no end to him. Uh, there is an opening sequence that's pretty interesting, uh, though people have problems with it too. But let's just say it has to do with saving babies. Interesting. <laughs> and then, yeah. And the movie has horrifically bad CGI throughout. Like, it looks like a PS3 game. Ooh. You know, which, if this was made 10 years ago... Fine. Maybe forgivable, but, you know... It looks like it was made like 20 years ago. Um, It's quite bad. And it doesn't like, I'm like, whatever. If your story's good, whatever. But the story's already mediocre. Sure. Right? And it's just like, well, at least they weren't like torturing their CG artists. (laughs) Like they were doing over at Marvel, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they still were. Uh, that's uh, an awfully, uh, an, an awfully large straw to grasp there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I was like, well, if they're not being overworked, I feel better about this looking terrible, but this looks quite bad. So, anyway, just be ready for that if you ever choose to go watch that flash watch the flash after that glowing endorsement i mean i've been following a little bit of the ezra miller stuff and just based on that i have no interest in going and seeing that film yeah and i i can tell you you're not going to be missing much cool uh and ezra miller is by far the worst part of it i've been hearing that pretty consistently i will say that from the preview that i saw i really wanted to see cara but here we are Oh, she is great, by the way. She looks Cara, awesome. <laughs> I was I was like, I will watch a Supergirl trilogy, absolutely, with this character. This character is wonderful. She was giving me, not exactly the same, but close to, like, Alita vibes. Mm, okay. And I love that Alita Battle Angel movie. I know not everybody does, uh, but I, I love that movie. I love that character. And I was getting similar feels here. And she was just awesome. Yeah, maybe maybe one of these days her scenes will show up on YouTube or something and I can watch them. But, yeah. They're probably already up. <laughs> it would not surprise me in the uh, least. 
she would be worth that. But yeah, you know, maybe wait for streaming, maybe wait for YouTube, whatever. This is not a must-see in theaters experience. Did you watch the Keaton Batman when you were a kid? No, I didn't. That's definitely one of the holes in my uh, education. So I remember actually going to the theater with my dad. Oh, that's cool. And watching that uh, when I was a little kid. And just coming out of that movie going, oh, my God, you know, that was the greatest. And, uh, you know, I saw The Flash with him as well. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was a special experience because, of course, uh, at this point, this information's in the trailers. Keaton is in it. Yes. And not only that, he's in a lot of it. And they brought back the music. I was delighted to hear that old music oh, again. Yes. yes. The that is the Batman soundtrack. Uh that is the that is the correct mm-hmm. version. Um I do I I love the Robert Pattinson stuff. I do. I do too. And I think that we're kind of in a minority there, but I really loved yes. it. I know. I've just been like dishing out unpopular opinions here. <laughs> other other than saying Spider Verse good, go watch that. Well. Like that is that is top notch, right? That's like what they call art. <laughs> they call it art, do they? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I know it's a product too, but <laughs> you know, it it feels like there's love there, right? And uh, love is the secret ingredient, uh, as it turns out. It is. Isn't that funny how that works? That is funny. That is funny. Anyway, I've been kind of jabbering on endlessly about the movies I've I've watched. What have you been involved with the last few days? Most of what I've been doing has been, uh, you know, working on podcast stuff, um, both for this and Redacted Reports. Uh, and I yep. also ran the second session of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which yeah. didn't quite go the way that I expected it to, but I'm not mad. So I only saw the first episode so far. So I don't know how much you want to talk about it. I don't mind spoilers. Um, I mean, by the, but, by the time this comes out, it will be well passed on YouTube. <laughs> sure, sure. So, you know, what what was the surprise? What took you by surprise? So uh, the characters had determined in episode one that they wanted to track down the under undersecretary, Cora, and yeah. find out what lord she worked for and if she had access to any information. And that was not anything that I had planned to do. Because I did not have bar hopping on my bingo card, which was a mistake. <laughs> I also did not have lesbian pillow fight on my bingo card, and that was also a mistake. I'm just going to okay. let that one sit there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but I, I wasn't going to tell them no. You can't go and do this thing. So I was like, "All right, the information that they need is going to be where they're going because." A, it's a three shot, and B, I don't like railroading. So if that's where people want to go and look for information, then I'm going to find a way to get the information I need them to have at the bar. And I expected it to be a fairly short thing that then they would go to the Baron's Manor and find out all the things that they needed to find out there. Now, this was fully the first half of the episode. So they spent an hour and a half, you know, one of them got really drunk and wound up in the bathroom where there was a very deep heart to heart thing, which is absolutely a thing that happens with women and femmes at bars in bar bathrooms. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is legitimately a thing that happens fairly frequently. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, And and why does this happen? Uh, Ask 
straight men everywhere. <laughs> because uh, the women's bathroom is the place that straight men can't be. Ah, I see. So it's a, it's a safe place to go and just like sob and say, I'm going to call my ex because I'm drunk. And all of the, the Greek, <laughs> the Greek chorus from outside of the stalls all say, don't call your ex. <laughs> Even strangers who don't know you. Especially <laughs> strangers who don't know you. <laughs> like it is a universal chorus of do not call your ex while you're drunk. Yeah. Uh, straight guy bathrooms are like, do not talk. <laughs> do not make eye contact. Certainly don't touch anyone. You know, there shall be no talking or support of any kind. Which is honestly kind of a shame because there's a lot of like, you know, uh, women and femmes checking their makeup, uh, touching up their hair, making sure that anything that got ripped is well covered. And there's a lot of support that happens around like the bathroom sinks and, uh, you know, holding back someone's hair while they're puking in a stall, that sort of thing. Uh, yes, yes. So. Well. We don't usually have the hair issue as much. <laughs> There's um, that. I also, I have very short hair, so I don't have that issue now. But uh, <laughs> I did have long hair once upon a time. And let me tell you, that stuff gets everywhere. So I imagine that what, what happens is you pull out the sink and there's like a mechanism and you click it and it flips over and then the war table's out, <laughs> right? And you've got your little sticks and you're like moving your pieces around and, and talking battle plans. Is that correct? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm I, I'm on the non-binary side of the of of the feminine uh, binary, so uh, I, I am sworn not to reveal secrets. I see. I see. You're on thin ice already. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I see. But yeah, the, the whole first half of the episode was them meeting people, having drinks, um, doing doing dancing to various music and using dancing and entice to find out the information that they needed to get. And it took longer than I expected, but there was a lot of amazing character stuff that happened in it that I'm like, I will fully just yeet these pages uh, that I had for other things. Oh, yeah. Specifically because there's so much good happening here that what I had planned out in heavy quotation marks because I don't I'm very much on the loose planning side of GMing sure sure um so what I had planned out was not nearly as interesting as what they were doing so I was like <laughs> we're doing this yeah I think so much of what we prep as GMs is just like trying to do setups for them to like riff and then like go somewhere right and that is a wonderful moment when they just bite the hook and just go and then you can just sit there right and that's that's kind of nice it's pretty fantastic and there was one time that they in in the episode that they did try to like pull me in because uh the two witches do not know how to flirt and so there was there ah. was flirting training that was happening with the scoundrel <laughs> and they were turning toward my npc mercedes and uh, looking like they're about to try to flirt with her and i was like now nah, she's busy talking to the bartender Y'all flirt amongst yourselves. Have fun. <laughs> and they did. They had a great time. Yeah, you know, bad bad flirting, bad lines, that can all be very endearing. It absolutely right? can be. And it was really adorable what they what they pulled out and like all of the tips and tricks that, that Riza the scoundrel was giving. So I had a good time with it. They did eventually make it to the manor and found out some stuff there. And I think they're relatively well set up to uh, go into the finale next week. 
Oh, well, that's great. Uh, so it's already coming to an end, huh? Yeah, it was only ever meant to be during the month of June. So uh, the 27th is ah, going to be sense. the last episode, which I, as we were doing all of the setup and talking and learning about these characters, I was like, I do not want to let these characters go at the end of this month. You all have mm. such interesting stories and interesting things that you're bringing in. So I'm hopeful that it's popular enough that we can get a sequel with the same characters. Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, you might get a spinoff. You might be able to just continue, you know, if the demand is there. Exactly. That'll be nice. And I think it's there. I think that there's definitely a, a, a market for it that is becoming less and less niche, um, <laughs> y- you know, all the time. Uh, speaking of which, did you watch Shira yet? No. That was your homework. It was okay? not. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch that show. I do need to watch that show. I've just had so much going on this week. It's been the last weekend was very difficult. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, you're 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 fine. It was a good kind of difficult, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. <laughs> so uh, recently, in uh, a social group that I'm part of, the Society for Creative Anachronisms. Um, someone very dear to the community who was also the current king of the West died very suddenly. Mm. And uh, this last weekend was the tournament known as June Crown, where we were selecting the heirs to the current king and queen. Mm-hmm. So there was um, there was a lot of grief happening because, mm. you know, the throne, the king's throne is is draped in black and there were many uh, speeches as the fighters were coming up talking about the the joy that Hans had as he was on the field and the the courtesy the chivalry all of the things that really make our society run it was there was a lot of grieving out loud and a lot of very quiet grieving in private corners and hmm. it was a lot it was exhausting but it was good mm. right so you feel like you and the others experienced some degree of closure yeah of a degree of closure a degree of catharsis where it's like you know we have all felt our feelings loudly Mm -hmm. and i mean it's not over it never is grief doesn't go away it just gets easier to handle but i think i think that it was good Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a it's been a difficult week. Tuesday I was working on stuff and I just had like this torpor sitting on me where I was like, I'm getting stuff done because it needs to get done, but man, am I tired. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I I uh feel bad now because nah. um I'm a teacher on summer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I hope that you have been enjoying your time off and the the ability to like kick your feet up and relax a little bit before you go back into the madness of the school year. Yeah. Well, it's coming up soon enough. I've only got a couple of weeks left, mm. and I got to move like right before that happens. Jeez. Um. So, uh, my my uh, uppance is coming. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is there shall no not be rest for the wicked here. Okay. So. Well, uh, one thing I did uh, yesterday, in fact, was run another in-person game. How'd it go? Uh, it was good. It was really good. In the previous, uh, I was about to say episode, in the previous um, <laughs> session, uh, they had basically experienced a TPK. And so one of them ran away, two of them were captured, and one of them was incinerated. 
like just outright killed. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, they had to make a new character and I had kind of like a side quest thing happening for the one that ran away. We did kind of like a spiritual journey test of morals, you know, ancient hermit with magic, you know, those tropes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And everybody else was trying to figure out how to break out of prison. And then we brought them all together at the end. And I thought it went well. They enjoyed themselves, but they also worried about their characters. Uh, their competency over the rules seemed to at least somewhat improve. So I was glad to see that. Um, Cause I, I like all aspects of what D and D intends to be. Mm -hmm. I don't like it when any part of it is missing. So I really enjoy stuff like grid combat. And it's not something that this group is particularly adept at, uh, but they're willing to give it a shot. So I appreciate that. And one of the other things that I'm trying to do is give them a more classic D&D &D experience because I have been doing all these sort of like experimental projects, you know, because I've been running Dungeons and Dragons for a long time. And, and so you want to try wanna, other things. You want to try other things. And so do I try other systems? Not as often as I should. <laughs> you know, uh, what I mostly do is do D&D, &D, but this wacky thing, you know, is, is going on. So, you know, uh, we're maybe we're doing our own multiverse stuff, although I'm really starting to get tired of that. And so this was like, OK, there are a finite amount of goblinoids that you need to defeat so that your town doesn't get overrun. That's it, right? Ah, straightforward. I love it. And they're all occupying this this uh, abandoned dwarven underground tower that, you know, they're just hanging out in until they've mustered their forces. And then they're going to go out. So you have to go through and, and cripple them, you know, or just destroy them, send them packing, whatever you got to do, you got to get rid of these guys. And, you know, they went into it like, oh, everything is going to be easy. These are, this is just, you know, for fun, you know. And then I was like, you die. <laughs> like HP, loss, exhaustion, everything else. We are looking at how many rations do you have? Did you bring this survival equipment? Ooh. All that stuff. And they're kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I expected. But... They're coming to enjoy it. And they are enjoying themselves throughout. And I think sometimes uh, what we have to remember is that when it comes to this hobby, a little bit of pain can produce a lot of pleasure. Um, not to be too I am, about it, I am but. trying not to make all of the comments that just <laughs> ran through my head. Right, yeah, no, Family friendly, course. family friendly. Family friendly. But it is, it is worth it, right? So... What I have been wanting to talk about a little bit are the forgotten rules of the Forgotten Realms. Not really talking about Forgotten Realms, uh, but... That was an excellent segue. That was my joke, right? Um, am I, uh, there are a lot of rules that we eschew. Eschew? I don't know how I'm supposed to say that. I think that. it's pronounced eschew. Eschew. Right. We go around it. We... We just hand wave it. And I think that at a certain point, it's actually really good for you to do that. And sometimes that's just not what your game's about, which is totally fine. But by adhering to some of these rules, we can really 
we can get some enjoyment out of them. So let me ask you, how often have you seen this happen? Does it stay the course of the entire campaign? Do you feel like it increased enjoyment or it annoyed you? And when I what I mean by that are rules about, you know, resting, eating and drinking, taking care of rations, weight limits. I've actually gone as far as using the variant rules in the player's handbook that have to do with encumbrance. So what are uh, just just a sidebar a little bit because I don't know this one. What are those uh, variant rules? So normally your carrying capacity is 15 times your strength, right? Right. And and that is still true. But if you're carrying five times your strength, you are encumbered. And what that does is it reduces your speed by 10, which for people less familiar with uh, D&D, what that does is essentially cut your speed by a third, mm-hmm. you know, give or take what race you're playing. If you are carrying 10 times your weight then you are heavily encumbered where you've lost 20 feet of speed, which is essentially two thirds your speed normally. And you are, you have disadvantage on ability checks, attack rolls and all that other good stuff. So it's like being exhausted. So why is this fun? Well, it's, it makes creating decisions about what's really important to take with you mean something. It also means that certain race options, uh, such as the Goliath and the Furbolg, become a little bit more desirable uh, because they essentially can carry more than other people. So, but this is a rule and that is number one of uh, optional rule, and which is odd because most optional rules are actually presented in the DMG. This one's in the player's handbook, which is a little bit different. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's, it's a thing that when you look at the character sheet, like the official 5th edition character sheet, there's actually not really a section there for what your weight capacity is. Right. And that's something that always frustrates me immensely because, like, those are things that I want to know because I think is interesting. But I have to go and, like, click around in D&D Beyond just to figure out where that is. And it's not anywhere on the normal sheet. You're right. Yeah, so on in Roll20, uh, if you're doing a VTT, Roll20 does a good job of adding it all up for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just check things on or off depending on whether or not you're like literally carrying those things. So like if you have a horse or a mule or something, you can kind of track that separately. Uh, or if you left stuff at home in a chest, you know, that's a good way to go. It makes decision-making when it comes to things like treasure kind of interesting because you're not going to be able to haul, you know, 20,000 gold pieces. Right. Right. It's just not going to work. You're going to have to move those around, but okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. What, you know, how have you seen these kinds of things implemented? What worked? What didn't work? Did it last? You go. So I think that the times that I see, uh, not specifically encumbrance rules, none of my games have ever really paid much attention to the encumbrance rules. I think everyone assumes that the items go into L space as soon as they're not immediately yeah. in their hands. Sure. A couple of the games that I'm in track things like ammunition. 
which I think is yes. another rule that we wanted to talk about. Um, yes, ammunition is definitely on that list. Yeah. So, like, Zeph ha- ha- has to track that sort of thing because she's back to using real arrows, grr. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a couple of other games where, where that's the case. One of the, like, nice little compromises that I've seen with that has been that if you're in a well-provisioned area, like you're around a town or you're in a relatively traded area... You don't need to track the ammunition because it's just sort of assumed that you can readily get those. But if you're somewhere mm-hmm. like a dungeon, you have to start tracking that because where in the heck are you going to get more? Yeah. Um, and then you have to think about things like recovering them. Do they break? Mm-hmm. Um, how many can you get back? Um, so I do a simple thing where you just roll a die that's close to the amount of arrows that you shot. And that's how many you get back, whatever the die result is. And I think that that's a way to not make it feel like super punishing. Like you attack 20 times. Now you need to go buy, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you have to load up on it like a thousand arrows <laughs> before going. <laughs> that's the point where, where one of those magical quivers becomes super useful. Well, yeah. And that's the other thing. Now other features that do address this become interesting Mm -hmm. like there's all this equipment that's listed like after i told them about this and they really started looking at the weight they had after they had their starting items most of them were getting close to that encumbered state Mm -hmm. and so like one of them was a centaur and she was like oh i don't have to worry (laughs) this is great (laughs) right and it's like oh man all of a sudden centaur who can carry as if they're large and has a 40-foot base speed, is looking mighty fine, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what would have, would in most games be like a B-tier race is suddenly maybe A or maybe even S-tier, you know, because now we're doing a little bit more with it, you know, and, and stuff like being a Goliath or certain feats that allow you to carry more suddenly jump into relevance, and can change the the balance of the game. Sure. So in situations like that, how accessible are things like bags of holding, haversacks of holding, portable holes? How accessible yeah. are things like that, which can take a lot of that weight and be like five pounds extra? Right. So I think there's a reason those items exist, right? And so what I would recommend to uh, most GMs is if you're starting at a low level, Dealing with things like weight limit can be actually a lot of fun. It can help with the immersion of the game. So it feels more real, right? It feels more lived in. But at a certain point, you know, you're really not going to want to think about it anymore. Once you're like, I don't know, level 10 or so, you know, these are problems of the past. These are things that we, when once you change that tier of play, mm-hmm you know, at level five or 10 or, or wherever you think is appropriate, you know, we can start to leave these things behind. And I think at that point is where we can start introducing things like haversacks, portable holes, bags of holding, probably don't do bag of holding and portable hole in the same game unless you want shenanigans to happen. I mean, um, shenanigans are fun. <laughs> they can be a lot of fun, but that's a different episode. <laughs> True. <laughs> Um, so I think at some point it is appropriate to say, all right, well, now we're worrying about universe ending threats. So let's, 
let's uh, hand wave some of the weight stuff. Here's a bag of holding. <laughs> so now it's like, unless you're just carrying a ridiculous amount of stuff, we're not really going to worry about it. Sure. And I mean, th that sort of encumbrance thing does solve a lot of the problems of like, I, I look back at my old character sheet sometimes and I'm like, oh yeah, I still have my starting equipment listed as things that I'm carrying around. Where are those? What what am I doing with those? <laughs> what am I doing with those? I uh, can't, have, Haven't I sold them off yet? Like that would be the sensible thing to do, but I haven't done that. So one of the most valuable things, like, okay, so I like to go to Ren Faire, right? Yeah, I don't, me too. I'm not as hardcore as you doing SCA stuff. I'm I'm a I'm a tourist, <laughs> right? And so I'm doing like just Ren Fair. And I've got my little outfit, right? I add on to it every year. Maybe I swap something out. Yeah. And I don't make anything. I buy all this. Oh, shit, I, I right? buy most of my or stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm the one breaking rules. Ah, whatever. Um, but I mean I I buy most of my stuff too. I can so I'm just not good at it. Yeah. Well, I I you've got me beat that far. So I really started to realize very quickly that one of the most desired items for me was little like waste packs hmm. and stuff, you know, stuff to hold my stuff. I was like, man, I really need a leather pouch. That's what I need. I would help this whole ensemble come together and it would free up my hands for things. And it's like, that's kind of part of the immersive experience. Other than the fact that in my leather pouch is a cell phone. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. That's the case in the SCA too. Almost all of the, okay. almost all of the belt pouches <laughs> that are based on historical construction uh, are uh -huh. also carefully measured to fit the most recent large cell phone. Oh, good. <laughs> that does make me feel better, actually. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, no, that, that. That, that's very common. I have a, a blue woolen uh, haversack that I wear crossbody so that, the, the, sa so that the, the bag sits on my hip. And it's usually, you know, identification and my cell phone, a, a fan because it gets really warm. There's almost nothing that's truly medieval in there. But that's part of why I have the haversack. It looks medieval-oid and doesn't, quote unquote, break immersion. Yeah, the haversack takes a little bit of the pressure off without removing the challenge entirely. Exactly. Yeah, and, and ruining that immersion. The bag of holding is, we're officially done thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've also seen variants where it's like you have a million tiny pockets and all of them can carry like 10 pounds or something. And I'm just over here like, this is this is insanity and I love it. Yeah, I mean, we think about it like who's distributing all these extra dimensional portal bags. You know, this should be a pretty rare thing. This should feel good to get, right? Where it's like this is not just a bag. This is your graduation hat, right? Turn your tassel over because we are now worried about different things than weight limits. That's that's where we're at. That's a really fun um, way of looking at it, actually. <laughs> Well, I'm glad. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it's a thing where so I, I think the the question now is how do we how do we handle it in game without it becoming real life cumbersome, right? Because I big reason why we circumvent it is because it's another thing to track that we don't want to. 
I think probably probably the easiest way to handle it would be to have an extra section written into your own character sheet, whether that's on a VTT or in uh, or on pen and paper, where you keep track of you know how much is how much. I mean, this is something that you'd have to talk about in a session zero, right? Like, this is a thing that we are tracking. Here's what's being tracked. Are we tracking rations? Are we tracking uh, ammunition? Are we tracking... Like, these are things that, you know, need to be talked about. Are you carrying around a thousand gold pieces? Cool. This is how much a gold piece weighs. So that's something that I think was very important to talk about in the session zero, because these are generously uncommon rules. Yeah. So it is, I think, important to make sure to underline, especially weirdly, especially with established players, because there's a lot mm. of established players who just don't think about it. Like, I mean, I've been playing for four and a half, five years at this point. I have never played in a campaign where we've tracked encumbrance. Right. Yeah. I and I I've been your GM like one or two times, and I haven't been doing it. Right. Um, we did it a little bit with Spike. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was in the beginning and then we moved away. Right. I still remember, I still remember how surprised he was that in like 15th level or something, I was still using hit dice to track, uh, how much health I got back from a long rest because that was a thing in the very beginning. And it was a thing in the very beginning, but I kept doing it, but I kept doing it throughout. And he was very surprised. He's like, yeah, you took a long rest. It's like, yes. And we're using hit dice to do the hit points unless we've stopped (laughs) doing that because I wasn't told if we did. (laughs) I didn't get that memo. Because if that's the case, Um, I am more than happy to just hit long rest and reset all my hit points. Right. Yeah. And you don't always have to do all of these rules at once. You can obviously take it a la carte and decide what this specific game you're going to be doing Mm -hmm. is going to be challenging, right? And this may not be fun for everybody, and so the answer might be no. But I would recommend that people give it a try. It's in there for a reason. There's actually quite a lot of stuff in the book that has to do with how much things weigh and, um, you know, what kind of trade goods are available and do we want to just save all of our money to go to the magic shop so we can get the plus two sword? Or do I need to buy a mule right now and a cart mm-hmm. so that we can get the treasure so that we can actually do the thing we need to do? And then, like, you bring back a bunch of treasure. Now what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Because you're are you going to haul this around forever and you're going to keep it in a wagon? That's not particularly secure. Are you going to have to, like, is there a bank here? Are you going to have to establish one? Are you just going to get the best lock on the best chest with the best enchantments that you can find? Or is it time to take a lot of this treasure and just, you know, give it to the powers that be in the village and see if you can end poverty overnight or something? (laughs) You know, I don't, you know, it's like, oh, thank you very much for helping us. It's like, dude, it's my pleasure, dude. I'm not all in around this crap. Get rid of this stuff (laughs) for me, please. (laughs) Trust me, this is about me. (laughs) But go build a school or whatever. I don't care. Or whatever. Well, Um, and also, uh, (laughs) on a different level, um, things like tracking rations can really help underline characters or classes that are built for things like long-haul travel. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot about um, foraging or going out hunting. There's a lot of those kinds of rules that just kind of get overlooked. And I did actually play with some of those in my first campaign with the Chaos Agents because Andraste, while not being a ranger, was a wood elf who uh, lived on the outskirts of society. So she had very high survival skills. And so it was very common for me to be like, and an hour before we make camp, she goes out hunting or goes out foraging. Yeah, which now is adding to the flavor of your character, Mm -hmm. right? Like how many ranger hunters have there been that never hunted anything? So many, because it's just not used. They use hunter's mark, but they don't hunt deer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mean, it's perfectly legitimate to have the thing that that you're hunting be a dragon, but... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, having that sort of thing can really help bring out the flavor of the character because, I mean, yeah, Andraste wasn't a ranger, but she was someone who had, uh, in her backstory, lived off the land by herself for five years. It would have been really weird if I hadn't uh, been able to pull on that a little bit. I really enjoyed being able to do that. And that can become an interesting conversation piece in character where you shoot, you know, you bring back food maybe you shot some rabbits or something. And then they're like, where'd you learn how to do that? Well, when I was a child mm-hmm. and then, yeah, then you explain, right. And now we're sharing a little bit of, of backstory, a little bit of characterization because you have shown competency in a specific place. And then hopefully the other people in your party can also have their moment to do the thing that other people can't do. Yeah, exactly. I think, th- I think that the, on a like broad level, I think that the loss of that sort of thing or the lack of use of that is one of the reasons why people think that rangers are a useless class. Right. If you actually play with all this stuff, the ranger is actually busted. Seriously. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's actually, I think stuff like Goodberry is an actual problem for the game because like you're trying to encourage players to worry about survival stuff. And then you make a level one spell <laughs> that can allow you to simply ignore all of this. So it's not usually a thing that GMs ban because it's like broken, uh, but that it removes an aspect of play. Right. And if you don't care about that aspect, then Goodberry's fine. It's a very good healing spell. You can help a lot of people that, go down in combat, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody cares about the ration part unless, you know, it's been removed. And then all of a sudden, Goodberry is like, it's like a must take. Yeah. Which is another problem because now you essentially have one less spell slot. Right. Because you effectively have to take that. You effectively have to take it, which is like, so they're taking away Hunter's Mark from the spell list and it's going to be just like an ability. I think they're doing the same thing from for the Warlock Hex, mm-hmm. where they're like, okay, it was dumb to make this a spell because everyone takes it. Right. So really, you you have an illusion of choice problem here. Now, and then some hardcore people might be like, I don't take those spells. They're lame. It's like, all right, good for you. Well, and, but and, like- and some people also <laughs> like don't choose spells because of flavor reasons. You will get yelled at sure. if you do that. But I have known clerics, for example, who don't take cure wounds because they're like, I am not your heal bot. This is what I'm here for. Right. And and players do need to get on board with the idea that um, people are going to play their characters the way they're going to play them. 
I have left play groups because people were trying to tell me how to play my character. I was like, I do not need this. I'm here to have fun. No. I'm here to play my character the way that I'm playing them. It is not hurting or affecting your character in a negative way. Let me have mm -hmm. my fun as long as I am not impinging on you. Because that is, of course, the other rule. Like, oh, it's what my character would do. Drives me absolutely right, insane. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes that is a legitimate yeah. response where it is like, yes, this is what my character does. This is what my character has chosen to do. And I'm sorry if it's not what you expected me to do, but... I think Cleric is the classic example of a player that gets abused. <laughs> because when people hear Cleric, they hear Healer. Yeah. But there's a reason it's not called that. Yeah. Right. And and so they yeah, you have, there's all these domains, many of which have nothing to do with healing. Some of which are directly know. against healing, for goodness sake. I mean Like war. <laughs> like Yeah. Go kill stuff. <laughs> go kill my stuff. Religion in the name is of go my... kill things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so are you interested? Um so I the... mean, yes, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Right. Um, I'm a death cleric here. Let me use cure wounds real quick. Well, and, th and that's exactly it, too. Right. Like we I, we can sidebar this conversation for another time because I think that you and Andrew yes. talked about this. But I'm I get frustrated when I look yeah. at the cleric spell list and I'm like, this character has absolutely no reason to ever take animate dead. Why is this on this list? Yes. So and can I trade this optional feature out for something else? Right. You know, even even if I take a loss somewhere. Um, speaking of flavor, this was something I wanted to mention while you were talking about rations. And the player's handbook, it has different levels of lifestyle expenses, right? Yes. And so, like, if your noble character, for instance, is not going to live in squalid conditions, they're going to shell out for something else, right? You may not choose to do that. But if that is the character that you're trying to play, like, I need my silk sheets, <laughs> You know, and I, I'm not going to sit here and eat, you know, hard tack every day of my life. I'm going to eat roast pheasant and quail eggs when I can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those, the prices are there, right? They're in the book. So one thing that I've done has been to create sort of minor rewards for spending more on rations. So like if you get that good food, obviously it's going to cost more, but it's going to have a small benefit. This can also make things like the profession of cooking in the game, like using the, the cooking utensils. And taking the chef feet. And taking the chef feet, you know, all of that stuff. Like the chef feet essentially is trying to gamify food in the game. It's like, but this should already be there. Right. Like, I think it's fun not only to turn big monsters into gear, but to turn them into entrees. Like if you kill a big dragon, come on. If there was a dragon in real life, there were dragons running around and there was enough of them. And let's say Tyson owned one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd want to try it once, right? You know, <laughs> you're, you're talking to the person who grew up eating moose, caribou, bear and salmon. So you, yes. you bet I would try that. I would probably that would probably be like one of the staples. How was, how was bear, by the way? You need to cook it in a pressure cooker for a long time, and it really depends on when you harvest it, but it can be very tasty. So I figured they would have a ton of fat on them, but they're really, really tough, aren't they? Well, and, and again, it depends on what time of year you, you take the, the bear, because if you take it in the spring, it's just woken up from its long hibernation. There is no fat there. But if you get it like 
late summer, early fall, they've been eating a lot of stuff. And then it depends on what they're eating. Like, are there a lot of berries in the area? Are there sweeter things that and that can affect the meat? Mm, right. Yeah, that makes sense. This is why I played that a character sense. who had high survival, because I just know stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. Now you can flex that muscle a little bit in real life, mm-hmm. which is fun. You know, not everybody's eating a bear. It's true. Which is which is really a tragedy. Um, I'm kidding. It's probably a good thing. But anyway, um, it is uh, it, it is a thing that I've done for players uh, that they seem to enjoy. Is it? It does add that level of immersion. It creates more decision making. It more utilizes the things that are in the book, taking up page space. <laughs> you know, so now it feels less like a waste. Yeah. You know, do I if I want to pay for a wealthy level of ration, I can I can choose to do that or I can take it sometimes and not other times. You know, what am I going to get for that? Mm-hmm. Think about it this way. Also, you're you might be going into your last battle ever, which means this is your last meal. Oh, man. So maybe maybe you'd like to eat the pheasant <laughs> instead of the tack. Nobody wants to die with tack in their stomach. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why whenever I know that we're going into, like, the BBEG fight and I have a character who has access to it, I've done it twice now, I use Heroes Feast because, A, there's a lot of really great benefits, but B, I want to go out having just had some good wine and the fine food. If we're going to die, we're going to die happy. Dang it. It's one of those spells that also like prompts conversation, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want to just eat the feast and then go. You're like, okay, eating this feast is going to take a minute. So let's have some conversations, you know, especially if you're about to go into battle. You may want to say some things that have been on your mind. You may not get to say later. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, in like truly the the, the holy sense, it's kind of like a last supper, that last communion mm. between you and your group, because, you know, for we may and might never all meet here again. That's a great insight. That's wonderful. I like that a lot. By the way, uh, it was Judas Iscariot who was the party uh, treasurer. Treasurer, he right? He had the bag, as it says. So, yeah, he was the one keeping track of all the money, which is probably why he was the one that was most upset. <laughs> you know, that uh, entirely tracks. <laughs> He's like, listen, guys, faith isn't paying the bills here. Okay, we need to go and we not... need to go and do things. Come on, <laughs> we don't produce anything. This is terrible. <laughs> Why'd you give me this job and then tell me this job doesn't matter? <laughs> and I mean, uh, pull, pulling it back to to TTRPGs, that is a Sorry. no. You're fine. That is a valid question of of you know paying for stuff like we think about it in the broad terms of things like big magical items or plate armor or the big things that people save up for but uh one of the campaigns i wasn't in but i but i watched over on qnc was natural one and james is a fantastic player i I love everything that he does and he played a wizard named sen who would very deliberately collect her spell components and not just the ones that cost money She made a point of being like, I'm going to collect this feather because I want to make sure that I am able to have Featherfall prepared. And it was a very strong aspect of her character, partially because she was a street kid raised in the back alleys. 
and learned all of the the wizarding stuff kind of in in dribs and drabs. So actually having spell components that other people just count on, that was actually a thing for her. And I, I really like that because a lot of the time we say, okay, you have a component pouch, you have an arcane focus, you have a wand, you have whatever. You can ignore right. all of And you the, can have it right away. Exactly. And you can ignore all, all of the components that don't yeah. have a material cost. Right. And if you don't have to harvest that back guano for your fireballs, you know, you're really missing out. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's really it's really interesting to me because there's a, there's a lot of flavor in the spell components themselves. Like I love going through sometimes and just looking at the non-moneyed uh spell components. Like one of them is a copper piece, literally a penny for your thoughts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and a lot of them are like clever. Uh, in fact, you know uh, our friend AJ, mm-hmm. who who has his like lore YouTube channel. Yes. Um, I asked him a question about one of those spells, and he turned it into an episode, uh, which was really cool. I was asking why why are diamonds required for revivify? Oh, I think and, I remember when you were asking about this. <laughs> yeah, you probably you might have been there. Right? I don't think I was there for that conversation, but I heard the uh, the PhD level diatribe from Roland afterwards. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so that might have been stolen information, right? <laughs> Good, steal like, from the best. Absolutely, absolutely. But it was like you know there wasn't any hard fast writing about it, but he made some some observations based on other lore that he knew where he thought like, Hey, here are some answers that might be interesting. They're not definitive by any means, but feel free to say they are, (laughs) you know, and it had to do with them being like little spectrums that transfer light, you know? And so this is like a conduit to capture certain kinds of magic through the uh, planar verse, right? to do things like restore life, Mm -hmm. right? And that's like, that's interesting. Yeah. A lot of them are either like tongue-in-cheek puns or jokes, you know, and some of them are like kind of symbolic, which is cool. Yeah. You know, my my party was was, uh, in a jail, like I was saying, and I kept waiting for one of them to like cast a spell to try to like get out. And then I was like ready to be like, ah, but you don't have your stuff. Mm -hmm. Right? So... You can basically cast healing word in end of list, right? You know, this there's not that much stuff. So it was, but then it never came up. Like one of them was a monk, one's a rogue. Oh. Um, <laughs> and uh, we also had a ranger, but the ranger just didn't think of it, I guess. And yeah, I was like ready to go with, ah, you got to find a little thing. You got to scrounge it out somehow. Because yeah, material components would be great. By the way, I don't like that the spell focuses are cheap. Sure. One of the big moments for anyone who plays fighter or paladin is their procurement of what? A powerful weapon. (laughs) Okay. I was going for plate armor. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Every single one of them, unless they're doing some kind of dex build is like, when do I get my plate armor? Can I have it in the beginning? And like, Jim's like, no, (laughs) And they're like, well, they're like 1,500 gold now, something like that. Something like that. They're very expensive. They're very expensive, right? And if you really want to get into the nitty gritty, you can talk about like time it takes to make them and size them and and everything else, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
to the point where it can almost be frustrating for a player who's like got this as a goal. Yeah. Right. Like I really, really want this armor. I think we could treat a spell focus in much the same way where it's like, okay, a staff, a, a mage's staff is not a stick you found. A mage's staff is like more like the Harry Potter wands. Yeah. Where there is like, it's made of special wood with a special carving with a special thing in the hollow you know, that makes this a magical focus as opposed to just something you found. Like, I think that would be a fun thing, actually, for, for spellcasters to get. Mm-hmm. When a cleric gets their holy symbol, that should be like a pivotal moment. Yeah. You know, that's that's really great. It can also have a great deal of flavor to it because uh, when I was playing on Draws Day, um, we were playing with the Nord games. Uh, Deck? Yeah, the 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 fortune changing one. I can't remember what it's called now, but we had rolled a nat one, and so we drew a card that was for the nat one, and it was a small object goes missing. I remember this distinctly because it was Andraste's holy symbol that went missing. Oh yeah. And for her, because she doesn't know about magic, this happened because she was chosen by a god after her entire village was destroyed. Um, mm-hmm. So she did, and then she spent five years hiding in the woods. Like she has no idea how magic works regularly. So for her, she could not cast any spells. Yeah, crippling. Yeah, entirely crippling. And that's not true right? because the 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 holy symbol only replaces the material component of spells. So as long as she had verbal and somatic ones, she could still cast. But not for her, she couldn't because she believed right, that she that needed was a character. that. All right, so it was a little bit like Dumbo. A little bit, yeah. In that, like, he needs the feather, but he doesn't need the feather. Yeah. Right. And that was a fun character thing to play for me because it really challenged her faith in a very real element where it's like, oh, my gosh, do I no longer have the blessing of my goddess because I have lost her symbol? Right. Am I now unworthy because I was given the care of this sacred item and I botched it mm-hmm. some of those cards were really great some of them frustrated me but for the most part i thought it was an interesting idea fortuitous circumstance got banned out of, out of our decks almost immediately <laughs> so, <laughs> there was one where i got crit in the head and it like the card said i was like my personality was like permanently changed mm, that's a little too realistic and and i was like i get it but that's not what i'm here for yeah. Right? Like, I don't want to play a completely different person. That entirely tracks. But to follow on to your idea that, you know, the the wizard staff should be something very special, um, I'm going to make a reference that you don't understand. Yes, finally. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, Dresden Files. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I don't. Um, <laughs> it's that thing that keeps getting recommended to me. Uh, and so you dig in your heels. You see, you dig in your heels harder and harder. Yeah, Robert Hans even got me the audiobooks. I I do intend to do it. I I completely understand. I am still staring at the the most recent book in the series going, I know one of the big things. I don't want to read it. I don't want it to be real. Bye. Even though I love this series very, very deeply. But one of the big differences between book Harry and television show Harry, I do not recommend the television show, by the way. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> um, I think the biggest problem with the television show was that they tried to do too much in the episodes and change personalities a little bit too much. Like, they took the first book and tried to turn it into a 45-minute episode. 
Mm, it just not gonna work. No, that's the sort of thing where it's like if you're gonna do a television series, the first two books should be a season because they're pretty short, and then go on from there. There's plenty of material. You've got 20 seasons worth of stuff going on. Yeah. Anyway, um, in the book, Harry is not. Harry is very powerful, but very uncontrolled. So he mm. needs foci. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, in order to, I think so. in order to make the magic do what he wants it to do, as opposed yeah. to just you know, he's essentially kind of like a wild magic sorcerer, actually, in a lot of ways. Because if he doesn't have you know the shield bracelet to help protect him in certain things, or the rings that he uses to unleash kinetic force, or his staff. Uh, as like his catch-all tool and his blasting rod specifically for fire. Like he has a whole bunch of different foci specifically for the thing that he needs it to do. And over in the television show, his his wizard staff is a bloody hockey stick. And his blasting rod is a drumstick. <laughs> and I'm like, I see what you were going for. And I actually kind of like it because... In the Dresden verse, magic is all about intention. You don't have to say the same spell as someone else in order to get the same result. You shape the magic in your way for, you know, whatever whatever works for you. So, like, Harry uses Spanish as his casting language because he doesn't speak Spanish regularly, so he won't cross that over and accidentally say fuego in the middle of a normal day and blow up the supermarket. Yeah. Which is a very real possibility. Like, the, one of my favorite first lines of any book ever was the beginning of, I don't remember which book it was. I think it was four or five. Must have been five. Uh, where he said, the building was on fire and it wasn't my fault. <laughs> because up to this point, any time a building is on fire, it was probably his fault. Right, yeah. So, but I, I love that... I, I love it that in the books, it is something that he has to consider and build and really like spend the time crafting and uh, putting his will and his focus into making that work. And that was what made it really cool for me for Dresden because he needed that sort of thing in order to keep himself focused. I see what they were going for in the television show that he just like grabbed something and it worked and he kept it. I hate it. I hate it so much because it really mm. undermines that level, that aspect of his character because so yeah. much of Dresden is about preparation. He's um, he's actually a lot like Magical Batman. He can take on right. a god yeah. if he has time to prepare. Right. That's a big if. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a real big if, especially when the god shows up and kicks you through several walls. Yeah, I think the the thing we want to resist there for for writers or GMs is this like I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to express that they're super powerful now, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't care. It's like well, that's actually kind of an important part of the character, right? It's way more satisfying for an audience when a character outsmarts a stronger opponent yeah. or outplays them in some way. As opposed to just getting the bigger gun and overpowering them, and uh, like that can be that can be fun for like a minute. Like, okay, Goku becomes a Super Saiyan, right? That's that was an amazing moment mm-hmm. before they started handing him out to everyone, right? <laughs> right. You know, but in that moment, it was really great because he had exhausted everything he knew, and then he lost a friend on top of it. And so he earned that, right? And even still, it wasn't actually enough. 
because it's like, okay, now you can beat Frieza, but unfortunately the planet's exploding. Right. In five minutes that takes five episodes. Oh, five. That, that that's short. <laughs> right. <laughs> they were they really knew how to draw it out. <sighs> um so but it was like a thing, it's like, okay, great, you can beat me, but that's not your problem now. Which was great. It, Everything they did after that was just, oh, I ascended, I win now. Yeah, and, and the trick, I think, is to do the D&D thing where, you know, the problems get consecutively harder and harder and you earn that next ability because you studied or because you worked hard at it or because X, Y, and Z. It's one of the reasons why I, even before I played D&D, I really... I equated Dresden to a D&D character because you could watch him leveling up through the books. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yes. he starts off, you know, dealing with low-level uh, necromancers and people that he's genuinely scared of. And mm-hmm. currently where he's at, he's, he's you know, dealing with things like Mab. Right, yeah. So. <laughs> Just, like, extra planar godlike entities. Yeah. With, like, semi-omniscience you know, been alive for thousands of years. Yeah, and, you know, he's <laughs> he's dealing with, you know, gods, effectively. And yeah. watching that level up has been really interesting because Jim Butcher has a lot of other issues as a writer. As a femme person, okay. I have certain quibbles, especially with the way that he writes women. I see. That said, I think that the way that he handles Dresden's power-ups is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. On that, on that note about writing women, it reminds me of a quote from George Martin where, like, in an interview, they were asking him, how do you write women so well? And he said, well, I've often held the belief that women were, in fact, people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I just write a person. <laughs> you know, funny, funny how that works. And there are things that make the female experience in our society different than the male experience. Mm-hmm. And that's right, interesting to bring in. But we're still people, you know, women and yes. men and non-binary and everything in between. Very true. Very true. So anyway, I think all that being said, sometimes it's the little details and inconveniences that are there for a reason, right? And they are there to help the experience feel more immersive, to feel more relatable, Mm -hmm. and to make certain features relevant, right? Like, one of the reasons I would never play a Goliath is because of a wasted rule. But if I'm in a game where I know encumbrance matters, I might pick it up. Otherwise, reducing damage by a D12 once is not that great. Sure. Or on the flip side, it's more interesting in some ways to play like my normal kind of character, an elf or a half elf, who is encumbered by all this stuff and has to make some decisions. That's that's interesting because going way back to your Renfair conversation, one of the things that I do run into with SCA wear or uh, dressing for the Renfair is how do I have all of the things that I need on me without feeling like I'm clanking everywhere I go? And that's without armor. Right, and am I going to be able to, like, keep track of everything so it doesn't get, like, you know, so I don't get, like, stolen from or lose something mm-hmm. or bump into people um, or, you know, we didn't even mention heat and cold. Oh, gosh. That's another thing that we just completely glossed over, but that's also in there. 
Um, and that's also very you know. real life experience. Like when I'm when I'm packing for a camping event in the SCA, where it's like, okay, it's going to be you know 83 degrees during the day. Um, shut up, Mr. Arizona. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> if it's going to be 83 degrees during the day, but like low 50s, high 40s at night, I'm yeah. I'm packing for a weekend. Like I'm packing for a week and a half going on a normal trip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in even being in Arizona. October's weird, right? Because that's when like Halloween is, and I'm not sure if it's going to be cold or hot out, right? Like yeah. and cold for me, right? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> so. and and here I am over on the flip side where I watch people right. uh, build a Halloween costumes around snowsuits. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was one year I was a yeti, and I was a character from League of Legends ah. who ha- has like a little Eskimo riding on him, and he's a yeti. So when my son was like a little baby, oh. I dressed him up in that little Eskimo suit and uh, and I was the Yeti and I was like running around with him on my back. That is so precious. Yeah, it was fun for like an hour. Yep. <laughs> and then I started really cooking inside that suit. Yeah, that's something that I all because uh, Phoenix Fan Fest is my home con for as much as I have never lived in Arizona. And it's definitely something that I have to think about because all the cosplays that I like doing, uh, like Joker from Persona 5 in both his school uniform and his, jo- and his Joker outfit, not just long sleeves, layers of long sleeves. Mm-hmm. Because it's the the white... And high neck, too. Yeah. Right? It's the white turtleneck and it's the, the jacket. And then because I'm femme, I also have to wear a binder. So that's an extra layer of clothing that restricts breathing. Yes. So, like, it's all of the stuff that just piles up. And it's like, I am deeply grateful for buildings with air conditioning. Absolutely. Air conditioning is the greatest thing there ever was. It's pretty true. Uh, And that is the moral of today's episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because, man, if D&D characters could ever figure out how to get good, reliable heating and cooling, that they could retire from being adventurers. Yeah, the the supervillain's like, yeah, I don't need to do this anymore. Uh, we have a Costco. Yeah, so. like I'm 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 comfortable. I don't need to like get all get all <laughs> aggro and rage face at people. I have air conditioning. Like I just walk in there, I grab a hot dog, you know, <laughs> and I, I just deal with my problems. <laughs> In a mature adult way. Oh my god! I I I now I now want to see Flair like build an AC unit for Duke's Alto. <laughs> oh yes, that oh, that's man. the way to solve the problems. Hell yeah! It's not it, it's not it's not the big kaiju on robot fight. It's it's a uh, building AC. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, dude, you're, it's too hot in here. No wonder you're miserable. <laughs> Oh God! Talk about talk. just imagine that moment. He's just like, oh my, mm-hmm. oh wow, oof. Okay, well, this is embarrassing. I'm really sorry, everyone. And Flair just yeah, over there with her yeah. arms crossed, glaring at him, like, "Oh, you threw me out as a baby because you were like this angry all the time because you were overheated." Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Give him a Snickers. <laughs> I was angry. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, we are devolving rapidly. So I think this is a good time to start wrapping this up. I agree. I agree. The time is far spent. 
but it was fun talking to you. And I feel uh, that now that we've done this, a weight has come off my shoulders. Do you do you feel less encumbered? I less I yes, I feel way less encumbered. Excellent. Well then, I have I have done my job providing you with a handy haversack. <laughs> Listening to your voice is like walking into a Costco. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for that, I think. I think I think that's the highest compliment anyone can give anyone, frankly. <laughs> Costco is just such a anyway. Uh That when that air hits you, it's like boom. It's you know? it's downright cold in those places. It feels good. <laughs> But again, speaking as the Arizonan. Well, and I, I'm I'm also someone who has just such a, a narrow band of temperatures that I'm actually comfortable in. I'm like, how did I grow up in Alaska? How did I not die? That is a really good question. I I adjusted to it, I guess. But like, I have a narrow band of between like 65 and 75 where I'm happy. Apparently, you have to eat bear. If you do that, you're okay. What's what's this have to? It's good. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, this was fun. And uh, we'll think of something dumb to talk about next time. As we always do. And until then, our friends, uh, stay inspired. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Inspiration.